know, just like normal stuff. Yeah. Okay, I can take that. Yeah. Um, this is crime culture. Speaking of normal stuff, this is not normal stuff. What what but we're no. doing? I don't no, even know what we're talking about stuff. today. Yeah, I don't even know what we're talking about today. But I can guarantee you, it's not normal stuff. Um, we need like a we need like a good a goofy crime. Things have been getting. I mean, I guess we had a go- we had goofy shit yesterday. You know what? Last I was week. actually go- I was gonna say for the past couple of weeks we've been doing like some lighter stuff like oh! review. Well, we did. <laughs> We did uh, like Law and Order SVU yeah. cases. Uh, we did a review of The Imposter, which was just like a, a but that's a, a documentary review. I know, but like we haven't done a, a like a really bad, pretty well known case, and that's True. what this that's, week is. I was about to say, is that a lead in? That's so fucked up. I I love you, but I hate. Oh, speaking of, I love you, but I hate you. Yeah. Um. Just to clarify. Because Autumn said something in our Discord. By the way, join our Discord. Um, join our Discord. Email us crimeculturepod at gmail dot com or any of our, slide into our social. Me- so yeah, any of our social medias. Go to our DMs. Uh, mm-hmm. Let us know you want the link to our Discord, and you can join our Discord. You're so invited. Um, but yeah, uh, Autumn reminded us of a time when we like were we were like talking about something she was like oh my god are you guys fighting are you guys breaking up mommy and daddy are not gonna break up no mommy and mommy are not breaking up thank you very much um we are we are mommy together we are mommy um but we are two halves we are two moms of one me um but yeah no mommy mommy and mommy are fine we are not fighting there is there is no it's it's nothing but marital bliss we just like to fuck with each other (laughs) we just yeah we really do and and i'm gonna get you back for last oh, week absolutely. so don't worry absolutely don't worry. and i would expect nothing less and quite frankly i look forward to it good well it's not this week this if week wanna, we're talking you about back, though, you could come out here and you could get me back in person i'm just saying okay maybe uh... <laughs> imagine she shows up at my at my doorstep like hey bitch gives you a hearty slap to the face and then walks away just leave literally with your with your little carry-on luggage and you turn right back around and go to the airport and you fly home exactly um so this week we are talking about natasha campush do you know anything about this case i know nothing about this case and i'm going to reiterate to you that i know nothing about this case because when i went to write her name down so i didn't misspell it when we were uploading this for elliot later you were like, are you Googling it? Don't Google it. Because I'm you started Googling typing. It. She started yeah. typing. Anyway. Yeah. Because I wanted so, to have it written down correctly so we didn't lose it. <laughs> if any of you, if this is your first time listening, hi, I'm Haley. That's Caitlin. Um, oh, yeah. But, hey, this is Crime Culture. Hey, I think we said that already. But oh, okay. um, if it's not your first time listening, then you will know that uh, the one of the genres of true crime cases that interest me the most are kidnapping cases. Um, anytime i hear of like a kidnapping case i'm like what is the psychology between behind the person that would do something like that i think they're they're really interesting so this is one of those kidnapping cases oh boy oh hell well get ready so (sighs) natasha campush was born on february 17th 1988 in vienna austria or the greater Vienna area, not necessarily in Vienna. Um, okay. She was raised by her mother, Brigitta Cerny, nay, Kampusch, nay. Uh, who's, 
who was a seamstress, <laughs> and her father, Ludwig Koch Jr., was a baker. I'm going to say it's K-O-C-H. I went to high school with the girl mm-hmm. with the last name Koch. I think that's how you pronounce it. That's what I I'm also with. went to high school with a girl named Koch, and yes. not the same girl, probably. Maybe. Probably, probably not. not. Um, but yes, can confirm it's Koch. Okay, good. Was okay, so during it... okay, go ahead. <laughs> during her childhood, Campus's parents owned what sounded like a convenience store. It, she okay. described. I'm gonna I'm gonna be quoting her book a lot in this episode okay. because I just read it and I as I was like writing this, I was like I need to include all of these quotes because what she went through is harrowing and I needed it to come straight from her. Absolutely. Um, so what she described. Um, through her childhood, it, it sounded like her parents owned a convenience store. It sounded like they sold like a little bit of everything there. So her mother had two daughters prior to Campush with her first partner, who were adults by the time she was born. Oh. In her book, Campush talks about how her surprise birth affected her family, saying, quote, I turned everything on its head. All of the baby stuff had to be brought out of storage and daily life had to adjust one more time to the needs of an infant. Even though I was welcomed with joy and spoiled like a little princess by everybody, as a child, I sometimes felt like the third wheel. I had to fight to establish myself in a world where all of the roles had already been assigned. End quote. Wow. Yeah. Pretty profound quote right there. Yeah. Especially, yeah, especially thinking about like the surprise last baby. Exactly. Like, (laughs) oh. Like, that's saying, yeah, I was loved and spoiled, but also. I knew that I was a surprise and not really like super planned. Yeah, that's that's some hefty shit. <laughs> yeah. So although she talks mostly fondly of her childhood, especially her time with her paternal grandmother, Campus's life growing up got increasingly difficult in the time before her abduction. Mm-hmm. Cerny and Koch separated while Campush was still a child and divorced after her abduction. Fighting between her parents plays a really large part in her eventual abduction. Wait, can you roll that back? I'm trying yes. to I'm trying to timeline that. So they separated. They separated. They weren't living together, but they were technically still married when she was still before, before she was before she was kidnapped. Okay. Yes. And then after she was after she was kidnapped, they, they did divorced. get divorced. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm just trying to I'm trying to make sure that my mind palace is correctly organized. Thank yes. you. So during the separation, Campush's mother was emotionally unavailable to her daughter and would frequently take out her frustrations by slapping Campush, <gasps> telling saying in her book, quote, it was not anger or cold calculation that drove my mother to do it, but rather an aggression that flared up, shot out of her like a flash and was doused just as quickly. She slapped me when she felt overburdened or when I had done something wrong. She hated it no. when I whined, asked her questions or queried any of her explanations. That too earned me another slap, end quote. Mm-mm. So she wasn't like severely okay. beaten, but she was like hit a couple times, which yeah, still not great. Like, yeah. Uh, as a result, Campush quickly went from a bubbly, happily happy child to a nervous, reserved bedwetter. She would Aww. often use food as an escape, which earned her more ridicule from her classmates as well as her family. She got a little chubby, she, but she was I, by the time she was abducted, I believe she was ten. And everyone goes through the chubby ten-year-old phase. I was about phase. to say everybody is chubby when they're ten. Like, yeah, you, you can't grow up, tell you me. thin out. Like, it's fine. It, yes, it happens. Like, that's uh, yeah. This poor kid. Like, yeah, she. Uh, the very beginning, the first couple chapters of her book really do illustrate her uh, childhood more detailed, um, and really kind of give the backstory. But I want to get more into um, the actual abduction because that's 
uh, spoiler alert, many years of her life. Oh, my God. Yes. So the day before her abduction, Campush had arrived home to her mother an hour and a half late from a weekend away with her father. Instead of scolding the adult in the situation, Mm -hmm. Campush was reprimanded for this. Her mother forbade her from seeing her father again, and she writes about how this decision affected her the next morning. Quote, I was even more upset at the fact that she had forbidden me from seeing him again. It was one of those decisions that adults make over the heads of children out of anger or caused by a sudden mood without thinking that it isn't just about them, but rather about the deepest needs of those who are helplessly faced with such pronouncements. End quote. She's so eloquent, by the way. Yeah, like, like that's, that's what I'm why I, I'm getting I chills. To, like I know I had to add all of those quotes because it's just like, wow, she she really like wow. illustrates, and not in like a admonishing her mother kind of way. She just like no. the way that her mom said, "You can never see your father again." It was more her mother was angry at her father, not right. realizing that a daughter needs both her parents. Right, but also just like that, I know I know people who would give a parent or anybody really not even just a parent less grace for something less uh just horrible yeah like exactly, i yeah. i mean what oh god yeah i i can already tell i'm not gonna like this because no. she's just she seems like a good person <laughs> she's and very not that this should happen to anybody but yeah this is so Girl. all of this was on her mind as she walked the distance to school on march 2nd 1998 she fantasized about escaping and getting a job in eight years when she turned 18 about making this the first day of her new life and her new mindset about disappearing and she even thought about just walking in front of a car and letting it hit her oh my gosh yeah she was she was not in a good headspace that day no while she walked down a quiet side street campus noticed a man standing outside a delivery van that made her nervous she Mm -hmm. described him as lean not very tall and he had quote blue eyes and with an almost too long hair that looked like a university student from one of those old made-for-tv movies from the 1970s end quote they made eye contact and although he made her nervous campus wanted to prove to herself that she was responsible and could make it to school on her own what happened next Mm -hmm. was very quick campus says of the kidnapping quote The very moment I lowered my eyes and went to walk past the man, he grabbed me by the waist and threw me through the open door of his delivery van. (gasps) Everything happened in one fell swoop, in one fell swoop, as if it was choreographed scene, as if we had rehearsed it together. A choreography of terror. Did I scream? I don't think so. And yet everything inside me was one single scream. It pushed up, it pushed upwards and became lodged far down in my throat. A silent scream as if those of nightmares have become reality where you tried to scream and no sound comes out where you tried to run but your legs move as if trapped in quicksand did i fight back mm-hmm. did i get in the way of his perfectly choreographed scene i must have fought back because the next day i had a black eye i can't remember the pain inflicted by the blow only the feeling of paralyzing helplessness the kidnapper had me had an easy time with me he was 1.7 meters tall, about 5'6", while I was only 1.5 meters, about 4'7". I was plump and not particularly quick anyway. Plus, my heavy school bag hindered my mobility. The whole thing had only taken a few seconds. The moment the delivery van door closed behind me, I was well aware of the fact that I had been kidnapped and that I would probably die. Wow. In my mind's eye, I saw the images from Jennifer's funeral. Jennifer had been molested in a car and killed when she tried to escape. Images of Carla's parents waiting for word of their daughter. Carla, who had been molested, found unconscious, floating in a pond, had died a week earlier. I had wondered back then what it would be like dying and what comes after. End quote. Mm. Um, Campbell remembers 
as her abductor was driving, she asked him questions. Her first question was oddly, she she recognizes his shoe size. <laughs> um, she said, quote, I had remembered from watching TV shows like, I can't pronounce it, so it's just an, Austri- an Austrian version of cro- Crime Watch. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't pronounce the, the actual title. We yeah. love a little mini crime aficionado. We love well, that. Well, that's why she, she had been watching, I mean, her parents were kind of emotionally distant at this time. So mm-hmm. um, she just kind of watched the news when it was on and nobody turned it off when it was something horrible. So she talks of um, Jennifer and Carla, who were two girls near her age in her area that had died around that time that were abducted and uh, right. molested and killed. And she just remembers, um, especially in her book, she talks about seeing those stories on the news and being like, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> Wow. Um, But she did remember that she needed to ask questions. So she said, quote, you had to be able to give it an exact description of the perpetrator. Even the slightest detail was important. End quote. Mm -hmm. The man tried to call several people on the phone as he was driving and stated to Campush that he was going to drop her off in the woods and turn her over to the others, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. This terrified Campush because of all the TV programs she had seen about people creating child sexual abuse materials. When they got to a pine forest, the abductor was agitated and Campush remembers him saying that the others weren't coming. Instead, he drove them to her house where he wrapped her in a blanket and put her in a small sub cellar where he left her for an undetermined amount of time. When he came back, Campush tried to tell him to let her go, that she would just tell people she ran away and that she wouldn't get him in trouble. But the man said that he was that she was going to be staying there. Campush Mm. remembers, quote, Looking back today, I realized that just knowing I would have to remain in the basement that first night triggered a reaction that probably saved my life and was dangerous as well. What appeared to be outside the realm of the thinkable was now fact. I was locked in a basement of a criminal and I was not going to be freed, at least not today. A shockwave passed through my world and reality shifted just a little. I accepted that I had... Uh, what had happened and instead of railing against my new situation with desperation and indignation i acquiesced as an adult you would know that uh sorry as an adult you know that you give up a little piece of yourself whenever you have to tolerate circumstances that before they occur are completely outside the realm of imagination a crack appears in the foundation on which your own personality rests and yet adapting is the only correct response as it ensures your survival Mm -hmm. children act more intuitively I was intimidated and I did not resist, but rather I began to make myself at home at least for one night. End quote. Wow. Yeah. She's (laughs) the most incredibly like resilient person. Yeah. Um, But let's shift a little bit and talk about the abductor for a second uh, to really understand who this douchebag is. Um, Mm. The man's name was Wolfgang Pricklepeel. Pricklepeel was a 36-year-old Austrian communications technician who had worked at Simons, Simons, S-I-E-M-E-N-S, Siemens, Simons, Simmons, Siemens. I don't know. Um, he, but he was working there at the time for the abduction. Uh, he later lost his job or quit and was unemployed for the majority of Campus's imprisonment. He collected mm-hmm. unemployment and sometimes renovated flats with friends. And this is going to be important later. He was an only child, and his father, Carl, was a cognac salesman, and his mother, Waltrud, W-A-L-T-R-U-D. I don't know if that's Austrian. It's a very interesting name. Um, She was a shoe saleswoman. Carl died when Wolfgang was 24, and although he didn't talk about him much, Campush could tell that his father's death affected him. Quote, 
He seemed to keep one room in the ground floor of the house unaltered to commemorate him. It was decorated in a rustic style with an upholstered corner couch and wrought iron lamps, what you would call a stubural in Austria, where people probably used to play cards and drink when his father was still alive. The product samples from the schnapps manufacturer that he had worked for were still standing on the shelves. Even when the kidnapper would later renovate the house, he left that room untouched, end quote, which wow. gives me very much like Ed Gein-ish vibes, mm-hmm. like keeping the one room mm-hmm. as like a tomb. Trophy room. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his mother, on the other hand, visited every weekend. During these days, Campush would be left completely alone in the dungeon. Campush says of her, quote, I read the name Waltrid Priclopeel on letters lying near the front door. I ate the food that she had cooked over the weekend. One meal for every day she left her son alone. And when I was allowed up into the house on Mondays, I noticed the traces she left behind. Everything had been spotlessly cleaned. Not one speck of dust indicated that anyone lived there. Every weekend she scrubbed the floors and dusted for her son, who in turn made me clean the house the rest of the week. Thursdays he drove me through all of the rooms again and again with a cleaning cloth. Everything had to sparkle before his mother came. It was like an absurd cleaning competition between mother and son that I was forced to bear the brunt of. Still, after my lonely weekends, I was happy when I discovered signs that his mother had been there. Freshly ironed laundry, a cake in the kitchen. I never saw Walter Prickopil once in those years, but through all those small signs she became part of my world. I like to imagine her as an older friend and pictured being able to sit with her at the kitchen table one day drinking a cup of tea, but we never got around to doing that, end quote. Mm-hmm. So a massive search was quickly launched when it was realized that Campus was missing. Over 130 tips came in the first four days of her disappearance, but police failed to act on the one that would have helped for over three weeks. You're no, yes. I'm not even surprised. A 12-year-old, a 12-year-old child witness re- reported having seen Campush being dragged into a white minibus by two men, although Campush did not report a second man being present. Ugh. Over 776 minivans were ex- examined, but, but this was three weeks later, including that of her kidnapper, uh, 35 days after the actual abduction. Uh, he lived about an hour and a half from Vienna by car in, lower, in the lower Austrian town of Strasshof, under Norbon. I think mm. so. Okay. Uh, he was stated, he stated that he was home alone at the, the morning of the kidnapping and the police were satisfied with his explanation that he was using the minibus to transport rubble from the construction of his home. So his alibi was that he was home alone. I would, I, I really, I would love to understand why we take these things at face value. And by we, I do mean the police. Yeah. But I would love to understand this because like, are what the fuck? That's are you not fucking it, that's, kidding? That's less than zero of an alibi. Yeah. He didn't even try to make anything up. Literally, it was like, oh, I was home alone. Yeah. No one can corroborate this. There have been bigger alibis. That have fallen that, through. Yeah. That have, yes. Like, whatever but speculations arose of csam rings or organ theft leading officials to also investigate possible links to the crimes of french serial killer michel fournette please tell me you mean organs like the piano no organs like inside of you i i thought so but i didn't want it so i kind of hoped and no no, we oh run. A, we we're God. talking about a true crime show, not a not. Yeah, music. hey, hey, hey! Stealing is a crime. 
Uh, we'll get to those cases later on. Oh, the I would. Uh, I would like to go back to those cases, please. This one's. Oh God. Well, Campush had carried her passport with her when she left. She, the weekend trip that she had just been on was uh, with her father mm. to Hungary. Um, so the police extended the search abroad. Accusations against Campush's family complicated the issue even more and led the search farther and farther away from Campush. During the here you go eight years of her captivity. Campush was held in a small cellar underneath Pricklepill's garage that was only a 25-minute drive from her mother's flat. Mm-hmm. The entrance was concealed behind a cupboard. The cellar had only uh, five square meters, about 54 square feet of space. Campush said that she could walk the entire perimeter in about 20 steps. Uh, it had a door made of concrete that was reinforced with steel. The room had no windows and was soundproof. Uh, with only a loud air vent that took nearly an it took nearly an hour to access this room. In the first six months of her captivity, Campush was not allowed to leave the chamber at any time. Pricklepeel was the only reprieve from her crushing loneliness, and she described the relationship that developed and how she was able to mentally cope in those first few weeks and months. Quote, My new home was a dungeon, my attachment figure the kidnapper. My whole world had veered off course, and he was the only person in this nightmare which had become my world. I was completely dependent on him, as only infants and toddlers are on their parents. Every gesture mm-hmm. of affection, every bite of food, light, air, my entire physical and psychological survival depended on the one man who had locked me in his basement dungeon. And in claiming that my parents failed to respond to his demands for ransom, he made me emotionally dependent on him as well. End yeah. quote. Absolutely. So he he told her that like I've reached out to your parents for ransom and they're refusing to pay. No one's looking for you. Nobody they don't want you back. I've tried, I've tried, and they don't want you back. That's, That's all he said so to her. Fucked. And he oh, kept I her, hope he burns in hell. Oh my he god. Kept to do her, that to a child. Yes. And we'll get to it, but like once she is able to get away, there was um a lot of talk that she was uh that she had Stockholm syndrome and mm-hmm. we'll talk about her thoughts on that. But throughout her book, she's like, I do not love this man, but you have to understand in that situation, I had to rely on him for my entire life. Like he was, if, if she just refused to do what he said at some points, like he wouldn't give her food and we'll get to it. Like he beat her. Like she, she did what she had to, to survive. Yeah. Absolutely. And she's mentally stronger than a lot of these people who are uh, who have done like pulling her down or not done nothing. But you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, So in the beginning, he attempted to show her at least some kindness. He brought her food that she requested books and eventually a TV only with recorded programs so that she could not see the news because obviously he didn't want her to see that she was on the news and that people were Mm -hmm. looking for her. He brought her a radio that only received a check station again so she couldn't hear the news and a Walkman with ABBA and Beatles cassettes. Mm. But uh, that faded with his need for control. Pricklepeel installed an intercom system so that he could listen in on every minute of Campush's life and control her without even taking the hour long unlocking process of the dungeon. He would monitor how much she ate. Did she brush her teeth? How much she had read? Make sure that she wasn't singing and every small sound of her life. If he heard something he didn't like or felt Campush transgressed in some sort of way, he would take away her only lifelines, her TV, books, music, and food. Pricklepill even installed a timer on the only light she had, and that was another way of controlling her. Oh, my like God. He would, he would turn off the light at 7 p.m. every night. 
should be in the middle of reading in the middle of doing something nope lights off and this was a completely like underground room once that light was off that's it yeah there's nothing you can't see anything oh my god so in the days he took things away and turned the light off campush sat in the silent darkness and thought about how she had gotten there saying quote why had i of all people become a victim of such a crime why had he picked me and locked me up those questions began to torture me and they still occupy my thoughts today it was so difficult to comprehend the reasons for his crime that i cast about desperately for an answer i wanted the abduction to have some kind of meaning a clear logic that had that had remained hidden to me up until that point, which would make it more than just a random attack against me. Even today, it's difficult to cope with knowing that I forfeited my youth just to the whim and the mental illness of one single man. End quote. That last sentence that she had forfeited her youth just because a guy was like her. Yeah. Is soul crushing. Yes, that's actually the perfect... Wow. That... At any moment, you could just be fucking whipped off the street, and there you go. Yeah. There's your whole life, then. There's no... No reason. He hadn't stalked her for weeks. He hadn't, like, nope. He just was like, she was walking by, so there she goes. Horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. But don't worry, Pricklepill's gonna get his. Oh, I hope Um, so. For several years of her captivity, she was not allowed to leave the tiny space uh, at night. It took almost two full years before he allowed her to stand outside. As time went on, she spent increasing amount of times upstairs in the rest of the house, but each night she was sent back to the dungeon to sleep, as well as while Pricklepill was at work. Uh, Pricklepill had warned Campush that the doors and windows of the house were booby-trapped with high explosives. He said that he would kill her and the neighbors if she te- attempted to escape. So, that I mean, her it was two years before she was... yeah. He was like, if anyone sees you, guess what? I'm killing them too. So she said multiple times in her book, she's like, I don't want to be responsible for the death of somebody else. So I'm not going to attempt to run away or anything. Even if it was safe to, it would be, it would be too dangerous. She didn't know if there were people that he had talked about the others, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. She didn't know if there were still other people in on this. She didn't know what to believe because he was such a controller. Right. Campbell says in her book that she noticed a shift in Pricklepill's attitude after she got her first period in the year 2000. <gasps> Quote, oh. his behavior towards me underwent a clear change once I entered puberty. Oh. As long as I st- had still been a child, I was, quote unquote, allowed to remain in my dungeon and go about my business with the narrow framework of his rules. How, now, having... Um, pardon me. Sorry. How, uh, how old was she? She was 10 when she was abducted. In okay. 1998. Okay, okay. Thank you. And obviously with malnourishment and being uh kept in that way uh could have delayed her could her yes that's that's what i was thinking yeah Yeah. all right i was amazed that she she got it at all right yeah she uh she goes on to say now having become a woman i had to be at his service performing tasks in and on the house under his strict supervision end quote (gasps) so she got her period she became a woman quote unquote and she had to be his maid what the fuck yeah oh my god when she was 12, Campush was forced to do hard labor on the home renovation project Pricklepill had started. She would come up during the day and work on jobs too difficult for a child, things like moving marble slabs, hauling sacks of cement, and breaking concrete with a sledgehammer. Oh my god. And then she had to cook and clean for Pricklepill before being locked in the dungeon again. 
literally at one point she says in her book like he was like cook this and she's 12 and mm-hmm. liter- she was abducted when she was 10 did you ever have to cook for yourself when you were fucking 10 years old and she's like i don't know what i'm doing like i don't know how to cook this yeah and he would like like hit her and be like cook this like my mother cooks it pretty much that a like, that's, my mother makes this better yeah that's some mommy dearest jocasta all that shit but yeah. also i i i this guy like and i don't I don't know how else to say this. Like, I feel like this is going to come across not the way I intend it, but I feel like it's so fucking stupid of him also to have her like breaking shit with a sledgehammer, doing all of this like physical labor because she's just going to build up all of this muscle and strength and all of that and take his ass down. No. Well, you would think so. I don't know if I have any quotes of it in here, but definitely he he would monitor how much like he he would monitor how much she was eating and how much rest she got so that she would be on the brink of like exhaustion at every moment he fed her just enough basically to keep her alive and upright and moving but not enough for her to be able to like build muscle or like oh like have a a performance body (laughs) what a fucking asshole like this is all just so everything was very planned he literally just wanted a servant yeah Um, i think i have a quote on that later um but it was around this time that the physical abuse began he would throw things at her push her into things twist her arm and kick her to the ground (gasps) campush said quote what he would not stand for at all was the pain uh that made me cry he would grab my arm and wipe the tears from my face with the back of his hand with such brute force that fear made me stop crying. If that didn't work, he would grab me by the throat, drag me to the sink, and push me under. He would <gasps> squeeze my windpipe and rub my face with cold water until I almost lost consciousness. He hated being confronted with the consequences of his mistreatment. Tears, bruises, bloody injuries, he wouldn't see none of it. What you can't see didn't happen. End quote. Oh my God. Yeah. He would hold her face under a sink to make her stop crying that's oh 12 my. years old this girl i i truly hope he burns in hell like yeah. oh my what the fuck and like like i had uh mentioned earlier another way Priclopil asserted dominance over campush was to restrict her food he mm-hmm. forced her to weigh herself and keep a record of it she would weigh herself multiple times a day too he gave her explicit instructions on how exactly much that she could eat and if anything was off he would beat her he constantly degraded her by telling her she was fat and when he brought food into the dungeon to eat with her he would give her a quarter of what was on the plate while he ate the rest of it in front of her oh my absolutely not yes like oh my god there there are just some people like Mm -hmm. who don't deserve any any good no to come to their life and this is one of them like what a vile human being i just i'm i'm mad i'm just mad i'm mad this kid is 12 this is a 12 year old kid like i'm mad go ahead but i'm mad just just please know please by all means please be aware hale that i'm fucking pissed like this is i um mm -mm. another thing that was clearly on all of the media's minds when she escaped and everyone who knew about the case was the sexual component Mm. many times in the beginning of campush's book she says that she was never raped 
Pricklepill did wash her when she was in the dungeon, but of this time, she says, quote, he scrubbed me down like a car. There was neither anything tender nor anything salacious in his gestures. He attended to me as one would maintain a household appliance, end quote. Oh, I mean, like, yeah. good, I guess. Because but like, there was like in in the uh, dungeon, there was like a, like a slop sink. And he would like put her into the slop sink and wash her because he wasn't going to bring her upstairs for like a shower or anything. So he had to wash her. So she was like, he would strip me down, put me in there, scrub me up. And then that was it. I Um, dislike that. Yes. Later on, she said uh, she's very clear about this aspect of the captivity, saying, quote, one of the first headlines about the kidnapper after I escaped was the sex beast. I will not write about this part of my imprisonment. It is the last remaining bit of privacy I would like to preserve now that Mm -hmm. my life in captivity has been picked apart in innumerable reports, interrogations, photographs, etc. But I will say Mm -hmm. this much. In their eagerness for the sensational, the journalists of the Red Top Press were far off the mark. In many respects, the kidnapper was a beast and more cruel than can possibly be depicted. But in this sense, he was not. Naturally, he subjected me to minor sexual assaults. These were part of my daily harassment, like the thumps and punches, the kicks at my shins when he walked past. But when he mangled me to him on those nights, I had to spend upstairs. It wasn't about sex. The man who beat me locked me in the cellar and starved me, wanted to cuddle. Controlled and mangled by my plastic cuffs, I was something to hold tight in the night. End quote. I respect her for not wanting to talk about it oh absolutely yes like you don't have to give you gave up eight years of your life you don't have to give up a fucking second more to anybody i, I the only thing i would i would take is i they were those eight years were stolen from her she yes. did not give those up like exactly i if I, the only <sighs> person you need to explain this to is your therapist and i highly i don't even think i you hope even, need just to explain to work, it to you to work just to through work it yes through but you don't owe stuff. the information to anyone no. like this no. is something where i just hope that she's she's worked through it yes absolutely agree but also i i'm just on her behalf i'm just disgusted i i this is so much more than ju- like it it's <sighs> i i I can't even. Yeah, this I, is a big I, one. I. <sighs> so after several years, Pricklepill brought Cam Push uh, out into town. The entire time, reminding her that if she tried to escape, she and anyone who saw her would be killed. The beatings increased. Cam Push was on the brink of starvation and losing the will to go on. On August twenty third, two thousand six, at twelve fifty three p.m. Campush was cleaning and vacuuming Pricklepill's red BMW sports car in the garden when he got a call on his cell phone of about an apartment he that he had renovated. Yeah, he had a couple cars. Of course he did. Fucking Because bag. of the vacuum's loud noise, he walked away to take the call. Campush remembers the moment she ran. Quote, Then everything happened so fast. With hu- superhuman strength, I tore myself out of the parapet paralyzing quicksand that was tightening around my legs good for her the voice of my other self hammered in my head if you had just been abducted yesterday you would run now mm-hmm. you have to act as if you didn't know the kidnapper he is a stranger run run damn it run end quote mm-hmm. she left the vacuum cleaner running and ran unseen by Pricklepill, who was completing the phone call without any sign of being disturbed or distracted Campush ran through the neighborhood, gardens, and a street, jumping fences, and asking passersby to call the police, but they paid her no attention. (gasps) 
About five, after about five minutes, she knocked on the window of a 71-year-old woman saying, quote, I am Natasha Campush, end quote. The neighbor called the police who arrived at 1.04 p.m. Later, Campush was taken to the police station in the town of Douche, Douche Wangram. I'm butchering these names. Um, but I will say that the 71-year-old woman that called the police, I wouldn't necessarily call a hero. She called the police because there was somebody in her garden, not necessarily because she was trying to save uh, Natasha. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that it gives yeah. old Biddy. Yeah. And again, she escaped when she was 18 years old. She yeah. was abducted when she was 10. She doesn't look like the same girl anymore. No. So just saying I'm Natasha Campush, like... Uh, some people might not believe you some people might not believe you and some people may go oh my gosh that is even if you're yeah. i don't know a 23 year old french man pretending to be a 16 year old boy with I brown mean, eyes instead of blue eyes and a five o'clock shadow anyway go listen to our episode on the, Im uh, <laughs> imposter. the imposter <laughs> uh campish was formally identified by a scar on her body by her passport, which was found in the room where she had been held, and by DNA tests, which should have been done by the imposter crew, uh -huh. or whatever. Uh-huh. And that's not on his family, by the way. No, Nick, not on Nikki's his family. family. No, that is not it's, on Nikki's family. That is on, on the, the authorities. authorities. Yeah, yes, exactly. ma'am. She said after agree, she mom. <laughs> She said after she arrived at the police station, quote, looking back, I am amazed that they didn't take me straight to a, a quiet place and wait at least a day before interrogating me. Yeah. After all, I was in a complete state of panic. For eight and a half years, I had believed the kidnapper when he told me people would die if I ran. Now I had done exactly that and nothing of the sort happened. Nevertheless, I could feel <laughs> fear breathing down my neck so that I couldn't feel safe or free at the police station. I had no idea how to cope with the storm of questions and sympathy. I felt completely without protection, end quote. <sighs> so she's finally away from this captor. She's finally like back with her family, back with like authority figures that can do something and she feels more exposed and right. more traumatized than anything absolutely i mean yeah. it's just a constant dropping of the ball here yeah like in her official statement after escaping campush says quote i don't want and will not answer any questions about personal or intimate details end quote after Campush's escape, police investigated whether Prickapil had an accomplice, but they eventually determined he had acted alone. Mm -hmm. Newspapers quoting unnamed psychologists suggested that Campush might suffer from Stockholm Syndrome, but Campush said that this is not the case. She says of the diagnosis, quote, Nothing is all black or white, and nobody is all good or all evil. That also goes for the kidnapper. There are words that people don't like to hear from an abduction victim because the clearly defined concept of good and evil is turned on its head, a concept that people are all too willing to accept. So as not to lose their way in a world full of shades of gray. When I talk about it, I can see the confusion and rejection in the faces of many who were not there. The empathy they felt for my fate freezes and it turns to denial. People who have no insight into the complexities of my imprisonment deny me of the ability to judge my own experiences by pronouncing two words, Stockholm Syndrome. Mm. Stockholm Syndrome is a term used to describe a paradoxical psychological phenomenon wherein hostages express adulation and have positive feelings towards their captors that appear irrational in light of the danger or risk endured by the victims. Mm -hmm. That's what the textbooks say. A labeling diagnosis that I emphatically reject. Because as sympathetic as the looks may be when the term is simply tossed out there, their effect is terrible. 
It turns victims into victims a second time by taking from them the power to interpret their own story and by turning the most significant experiences from their story into a product of a syndrome. Mm-hmm. The term places the very behavior that contributes significantly to the victim's survival that much closer to being objectionable. Being Getting closer to the kidnapper is not an illness. Creating a cocoon of normality within the framework of a crime is not a syndrome. Just mm-hmm. the opposite. It is a survival strategy in a situation with no escape and much more true to reality than the sweeping categorization of criminals as bloodthirsty beasts of Victims as helpless lambs that society refuses to look beyond, end quote. So many pieces of that quote are just like beautifully worded and so incredibly put. You have to be like, yeah, I wasn't there. I don't know what your experience was for eight years. Mm -hmm. Creating a cocoon of normality within the framework of a crime is just chef's kiss of a phrase. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. As usual, she's just, I mean, just her way with words is heartbreaking, but stunning. Yes. Yeah. And she just seems to like, if if she wrote all this before she went to therapy, then she's like uh, Gandhi. Yeah. (laughs) Like if if she came up with all of these uh, beautiful ways to think before, like, really working through what happened to her, then she needs to be put on a pedestal because wow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, her humanization of her captor baffled the public and earned her considerable backlash. She said, quote, after my escape, I was amazed. Not that I was a victim, not that I as the victim was capable of making that differentiation, but that the society in which I had landed after my imprisonment does not allow for the slightest nuance. I am not permitted to reflect at all on the person who was, the only one in my life for eight and a half years. I cannot even hint that I need that outlet to work through what had happened without evoking incomprehension, end quote. Mm. Um, I'm realizing now as I go through my notes, I don't know that I really wrote down how Pricklopil died. <laughs> Whatever. Hopefully, painfully, honestly, he, he doesn't sucks. deserve um, another moment of our time, though. Well, I very like quickly, I don't know. I'm looking, but I don't know that I wrote it down. So after she escaped and he realized she had escaped, he walked to train tracks that was close to his house and laid on the train tracks and a train ran over him. Like hours after she escaped. That makes me mad. Yeah. That makes me mad. Like I was hoping for a rot in prison and maybe an alligator sneaks into the prison sort of situation. I was like you know what's fucking crazy fucking coward you know what's fucking crazy that you just said like alligator attack right now (laughs) i had a fucking nightmare that somebody got attacked by an alligator last night we are fucking mind meld right now honey i love i love that for us i hate this motherfucker yeah but according to the police she cried inconsolably when she was told that prickapil was dead and she lit a candle for him at the morgue what she could listen she confirmed she went to see his body after he died, writing, quote, I did not want my visits to the morgue to be made public because it is difficult for those on the outside to put something like that in the right perspective. I had only one person who was who I was close to for many, many years on whom my survival depended and with whom I had to find a way to come to terms. 
You can't simply banish someone that you have spent eight and a half years of your life with from your memory. I spent nearly as much of my life together with him as I had before with my family. End quote. This woman deserves all of the awards. Like, if there's... To humanize him that if, much? If, if there is done? a heaven, to, again, to give him that much grace... Like, she's got a fast pass to heaven. She's she straight up, straight yeah. the fuck up. Like a Disney level since been discontinued fast pass. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. This bitch is going to heaven of the highest tier. Like yeah. what an absolute queen. class act. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh um, my so, god. Uh, in the. The subsequent years, uh, freedom has not been easy for Campush, who reveals that she has mm-hmm. been stalked a number of times. <gasps> she says, quote, there were crazy people with crazy intentions. They wrote me letters describing things they wanted to do to me. One said that he was in love with me and wanted to marry me. My mom got a restraining order against him. It went on for several years. There was another one from Australia. He sent me a didgeridoo. Boy. I had police <laughs> protection when I was first stalked, end quote. Dude, you're not going to win anybody's heart with a didgeridoo. Also, imagine the shipping that he spent on that digital. I know to that's get fucking sad. Australia to Austria. My my guy, my guy. There are yeah. there are cheaper ways to simp, my friend. Like yeah, just just make her a mixtape like everybody else. Like that's or better yet, better yet, maybe don't, maybe don't yeah. contact her. Maybe, maybe if not. it's not, maybe if she's not the one. How about you fucking didgery don't. <laughs> He walked over here just to say that. He did. And as as soon as I saw him get up, I was like, either we're in trouble or he's got something real fucking good. And sure enough, sure enough, Elliot once again fails to disappoint. Anyway, uh, Campush is also wary of relationships for obvious reasons. Oh, yeah. She adds, quote, it is difficult to trust anyone. There have been rumors that I found my first love with several people. None are true, but it makes it hard to go anywhere with any one male in public. Of course. Of course. Um, Now to one of the most surprising pieces of uh, after information is that Campush now owns the house in which she was imprisoned. What? Yes. She said of the decision, quote, for me, it was an absolute horror that a pervasive admirer of the kidnapper might purchase that house, okay. that it might become a place of pilgrimage for those who saw their darkest fantasies transformed into reality there. That is why I made sure that it was not sold, but were granted to me as damages. I By wondered. doing so, uh, yeah. I had reconquered and reclaimed a part of my past, end quote. I fucking love that. Yeah. She also <sighs> noted that she has visited it since her escape. Ooh, when the that's third anniversary, yeah, right. When the third anniversary of her escape approach, it was revealed that she had become a regular visitor to the property and was cleaning it out. She understands that this might seem weird to people, saying, "Quote: I know it's grotesque. I must now pay for electricity, water, and taxes on a house I never wanted to live in." End quote. Ob- again, hilarious quote. <laughs> a great quote, but at the same time, like you can't judge how somebody processes things. You can't Absolutely judge how not. somebody gets over shit, doesn't get over shit, how fast f- they do, how slow they like. You can't. I'm I not fully judging. support. I fully support her being. I don't want this place to become a museum. That is fucking. Again, she's a genius because yes. that wouldn't have even been the only thing I was thinking when you first told me that was. Oh, I hope she buys it and burns it to the ground. 
Yeah, right. But this is even like better because I, I, I feel like because clearly she's using it as a tool now. Like it was the source that was the 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 ground zero of such pain. Hold on, she has a, she has an incredible quote. Oh, it's so, better than whatever I'm gonna say. Go for it. In January 2010, Campush said that she bought the house because it is such a big part of her formative years. Also stating that she would fill in the cellar if it was ever sold, adamant that it will never become a true crime tourist destination. Hell yeah! In 2011, the cellar was filled in. As of 2017, Campush still owned the house. She said in an interview with The Mirror in 2017, quote, The house itself cannot hurt me. Only the memories of what happened there can. Bricks and mortar are not evil, end quote. Oh, my God. She's, like, incredible. I can't, I can't even stand it. Right? I'm... Uh, what a hero. Like, yeah. oh, my God. Please tell me she's won awards. Like, it, it's just... She's... I believe she has won, like, humanitarian awards and stuff. Um, but I'm going to get into the, I'm going to get into the pop culture side now. So yeah. the first book written about the case was Girl in the Cellar, the Nakash- Natasha Campush story by mm-hmm. Alan Hall and Michael Leidig. It has a 3.2 out of 5 on Goodreads. Lots of the comments say that the writing felt rushed and exploitative. I think it came out very soon after she escaped. Mm-hmm. Um, it has an 86% on Google and a 3.9 out of 5 on Amazon. Campush's lawyer described the book as being both speculative and premature and therefore planned to take legal action against it. Wow. So if you're going to read a book about the case, it's not this one. No. Um, there is another one. I cannot pronounce the uh, Austrian title, but it is in English it is Desperate Years. And together with two journalists, Campush's mother, Brigitte Cern. Cerny wrote the book about the ordeal. Campush appeared at the initial presentation of the book in August 2007, but did not want to be photographed or interviewed. Cerny writes that she did not have much contact with Campush after the escape because Campush was shielded from the outside world. Obviously, Campush had um, uh, things to work through with both her parents and with just everything in the world. So I understand wanting to... um, take that relationship a little bit slowly mm-hmm. um the book that i read and i quoted most was um 3096 days and that is by natasha campush mm. it has a 3.94 out of 5 on goodreads a 95 percent on google and a 4.5 out of 5 on amazon and this was published in september 2010 um, writ- again, written by Campush. This is the one you should read. 3,096 yeah. days. It is incredible. Um, there's a follow-up called, again, I can't pronounce the actual title, but the English title is 10 Years of Freedom uh, that Campush wrote um, in 2016. It was published. It has a 3.54 out of 5 on Goodreads with a 4.3 out of 5 on Amazon. Uh, it was re- released August 2016. The Goodreads description says, quote, the author spans a wide range of themes from her first days in freedom and the turbulent times after gaining it again to a never ending trauma, which she will have to deal with for the rest of her life. Natasha declares that she wasn't prepared to be a public figure after all, but was suddenly confronted with a heavy controversial media coverage, including speculations by reporters regarding Stockholm syndrome and role playing all along with being labeled seller girl and sex slave. Also, wild conspiracy theories gained popularity, resulting in several trials and review boards, including police and FBI investigations. Despite everything, she found certain ways to reconnect with her family and even founded slash initiated several charity projects, uh, including the creation of a children's ward in Sri Lanka or the support of PETA, which uh, 
you can make your own judgments on. Yeah, PETA, everybody's got their own opinions. Yeah. Uh, there are also a couple of movies. There is a film adaptation of 3,096 Days that was put out in 2013. It's got a 47% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, 68% Google score, 6.5 out of 10 on IMDb. And on June 17th, 2010, a German filmmaker and director Bernard Eichinger announced that he was making a film based on Camp Push's captivity and wanted Kate Winslet to star. Ooh, yeah. love that. The film was uh, his last before his sudden death on January 24th, 2011. Uh, Camp Push attended his funeral. Oh, Ruth wow. Toma completed the film, uh, the unpo- unfinished screenplay, rather, and the film was directed by Sherry Horman. It was mm-hmm. also cinematographer Michael Bauhaus's final film. Oh, wow. Yes. Uh, I didn't recognize really any of the actors in it. Um, another so Kate Winslet wasn't in it. Caitlin Winslet, Kate Winslet was not in Caitlin it. Caitlin Winslet wasn't in it, and Kate neither Winslet. was Kate Winslet. <laughs> There's also apparently a Croatian movie called 3096 uh, that came out in 2019. It's got a 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb. I literally could not find a single other piece of information about this movie. <laughs> So I don't, I don't know. Uh, there's also a movie called Michael that was from Austria. It came out in 2011. 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, 67% audience score, 85% on Google, 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb. The critics consensus is, quote, Michael's dispassionate approach to a sensationalistic story increases its chilling effectiveness without blunting the repellent horror of its subject matter. Uh, The description is that Michael, a seemingly meek insurance agent, has a secret. He's holding a 10-year-old Wolfgang captive and locked in a basement. Uh, So it's kind of uh, like Natasha's story, weirdly with the name Wolfgang. I was was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You can actually watch it for free on Tubi and Vudu. Um, There are some documentaries, which... I'm not going to get into descriptions or anything because they basically just tell Natasha's story. Uh, Natasha can push the whole story, which came out in 2010. It's got a 5.7 out of 10 on IMDb. Natasha can push 3,096 days in captivity. Again, came out in 2010 with a 6 uh, 6 out of 10 on IMDb. Kidnapped. Natasha can push came out in 2017. 3.5 out of 5 on Amazon. And you can watch it for free on Tubi, Vudu, and with ads on Amazon. Mm. And... I think that is it. Damn. That is it. Yeah. That is that a, is the story of Natasha Campush. And that is a story. I can't believe that I've never heard of this. And let us know if you've ever heard of this. Because this is like, this girl is, is like huge to me now. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is, this is up there with like Elizabeth Smart, Mary Vincent, like just badass survivors. Exactly. Yeah. And what an absolute legend. Like she's kind of like the um like the way that like JC Dugard is talked about here, like that's Natasha Campush yeah. in in Austria. And yeah. and in like like in the UK and stuff. They they talk about her like that because of everything she fucking went through and how long she was held captive for. As she should be. Like she should be fucking revered. Like there should be statues. Like 
this is incredible to me. Yeah, and like I can't pump her book enough, 3,096 Days. Um, there's just so many like beautiful quotes and like the way that she talks about everything. Um, this is such a truncated version of that. You really mm. should read her book. Um, I personally have like um, the Libby app. It's yeah. like attached to my library so yeah. I can rent it from my library and just read it from my phone. Highly recommend doing that. It's great. Um, and as a palate cleanser for this episode, which what did you call it? Oh, God, I called it this, a this warm war fuzzy, a warm fuzzy. That's what it was. I was like, yes. oh, this is a warm fuzzy. It, like I was before we went on mic. I was like, oh, yeah, no, warm fuzzy. Yeah, yeah a warm fuzzy <laughs> or palate cleanser. Uh, it is a podcast that I've been listening to for many years. It's called Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People or Beautiful Anonymous. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hosted by Chris Gethard. He basically oh, you do love a Chris um, Gethard. I love a Chris Gethard. Um, it's basically like he puts out the phone number and somebody calls. Uh, he talks to them for an hour without knowing their name, without knowing any information about them. The person just launches into whatever story they want to talk about. Um, it's it can be funny. It can be heartbreaking. There was recently one where a woman called in and she was talking about how um, she fell into a sexual relationship with her therapist. Ooh. Like an abusive sexual relationship yeah, with her therapist. No, I mean, when therapists um, have that level of power. It's, yes. Yeah. That's a very harrowing episode. There is an episode where a woman, like the one that like, I literally can't even think about it without crying. A woman is calling from the car while she's waiting for her daughter to come out of a cancer treatment. Oh my God. Yeah. So... Ugh. Yeah, I think there's lots of one that are kind of like like a lot of older episodes are locked behind a paywall now. Um, mm -hmm. But there are some that are archived. I believe that one is archived. Um, but just any any episode, it's like just pick up one and you're in for a good time. Uh, Chris Gethard is a really great host of pretty much everything. And uh, he really is great at like moving the conversation along and finding like the really good gems of these conversations. It's re it's a really great listen. That's wonderful. Uh, so it's beautiful stories from anonymous people. It's also shortened to beautiful anonymous. So hmm. that's my palate cleanser. I like that. That's a warm fuzzy. It is a warm fuzzy. <laughs> um, so that's it. You can go to our website. It's crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. Uh, you can find the links to all of our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, not LinkedIn, um, not LinkedIn our email address, crimeculturepod at gmail.com. Uh, we have a Patreon. Join for as little as a dollar, as much as whatever you want. There's rewards at each level. And uh, you don't even have to be a Patreon uh, subscriber to join our discord our discord is super fun mm -hmm. uh, we have channels that we it's like a messaging app that we can talk with everybody um, we have channels with recommendations for stuff with pictures of all of our pets yeah. we have an arts and crafts channel which I'm going to be sharing I am uh, taking all of my cards for my wedding and I'm binding them into <gasps> a book oh, so I will a card? I think so Oh, okay, because I just had a mild heart attack thinking that we didn't give you a card for your wedding. I think so, um, okay. but I That's might be sharing. <laughs> I might be sharing some images of that on our arts and crafts channel. Oh, I um, look forward to this. Haley is also not one 
to toot her own horn, so I will toot it for her. In that she is a very, very crafty lady, so much so that she has made me, and and like a wonderfully crafty lady. Like she is good at it. Like it's not like that. Those like shitty little like. I, I'm going to buy a, a piece of canvas and make an ugly ass thing because I'm like in college sort of like, you know what I mean? Like when crafting was really big back in college, like those yeah. are fine. This is not that. Haley is an artiste. Yes. Like a paint and sip. This is not a paint and sip moment. This is Haley is an artiste. Jeez. And I I will post in the craft channel, actually, the pictures of the pillows that you've made me. Ah, because you made me too secretly i take commissions uh if you're a good person yes or if you're me (laughs) if you're you uh i make a whole range of things so hit me up um self-plug yeah um oh we love a self-plug we love a self-plug at haley art there's an underscore in there somewhere h-e-y underscore l-e-e art yeah yeah no check check haley out i'm obsessed haley's my warm fuzzy every day (gasps) I know. I know. Yeah, I'm a nice bitch. Um, (laughs) Um, I think we're done here, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. no, I think we're I think we're sliding a little bit off the tracks. I think now's a good time to wrap it up. We are. Yes. (laughs) Happy January, everybody. Truly, truly. And let us know how you're doing. Let us know if you're if you've got anything going on this January. If you're doing a dry January. That's always um, fun. Every I can give January, you some fun mocktails. We we all yeah. Every January is a dry January for Elliot and me. So yeah, we got we got some. We, you can have the Caitlin Elliot special, which is a crime culture original, and it is grenadine, your choice of Sprite or ginger ale, depending on your taste, and maraschino cherries to taste. If you want to put in a whole jar, you can. It might sound like a Shirley Temple. It pretty much is, except we're calling it the Caitlin Elliott special from Crime Culture. Yeah. So and if do you that. want, if you want my version of it, you slap some yes. tequila in that bitch. Yes. If you want a, if you want a wet January, then yeah. the can... wettest January <laughs> possible. Raining mean, tequila. I was gonna say. So you mean what I'm experiencing right now in California? Um, yep. We. She's we're not floating today. away, everybody. She's fine. We are not. No, we're not floating away. The catio. My cats are seriously deprived because the catio is flooded, but the catio is not connected to the inside, so we are all good in the hood. However, we did get our route when we were driving today diverted because there was a mudslide blocking one of Fun. the exits. I know. I was like, I didn't think they had that. I didn't think they had that out here, but they do. And we saw it. We literally drove past it and looked at it. We were like, holy shit, that is a mudslide. Picture an avalanche, but brown. Yeah. The Julia Louis-Dreyfus meme of what the fuck is going on? Yes. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) That's exactly what this is right now, because suddenly it's wet and green here, and I don't know how to handle it. All right. Well, we'll check back in next week. Yes. Maybe I'll float away. Maybe not. You'll have to tune in next week to see. Modest Mouse, float up. (laughs) Um, All right, already. All right, bye. Bye.